Steve, good morning. How are you? Doing well. How are you? I, like I said, I just had a very delicious breakfast, so I feel pretty good about everything. <laughs> also, I'm on vacation, which does not hurt me feeling good about stuff. Yes, correct on both counts. <laughs> you? How are you? Uh, doing well. I, I had a Sweetwater's Donut for breakfast, so I'm also, I mean, it, it isn't, I wouldn't say, it, uh, uh, I mean, it was delicious. It's not uh, wholesome. Maybe it was wholesome. Not healthy? Maybe that's what I'm looking for. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Wholesome? I don't know. That's a really, that's another one of these unregulated terms that, like, you could put wholesome on, like, a box of fucking Cheerios. Yeah. Is it? Yeah. What? Made with love. Yeah, but love of what? Money, probably. <laughs> uh, define wholesome. Conducive or suggestive of good health and physical well-being. Quote, the food is plentiful and very wholesome. You could also say that a donut's probably not wholesome. Unless well, compared to other donuts, I suppose. I think all donuts are wholesome if you drop the W. There you go. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And conducive to well-being doesn't necessarily connote health. Health. Physical health, right? Right. Like a donut would improve my mental health. Yes. No question. <laughs> mental well-being, At least yeah. temporarily. I do right? now want to start a donut sh- donut shop that's called wholesome donuts without the w i think that's a good donut shop name so i i don't want to trample your dreams however that feels like something that has to exist already let me just i'm gonna google it real quick yeah (laughs) yep we're at gonna look it up right now let's see here so let me just make the joke right off the bat it better be in boys town in chicago (laughs) it is in bangladesh Oh, uh, so I feel like that's far enough away that it doesn't matter. Yeah, we could totally cash in. There's got to be one over here too. Maybe they just don't have a large internet presence. I also don't think of donut. My my brain doesn't immediately go to Bangladesh when I think donut. I guess wholesome donut company is also a broad or not a broadliner, but like a wholesaler, which is oh. also funny. Um, <laughs> so this is an article from 2015. After two years of bargaining between city officials and the wholesome donut company. Repton will be the site of the company's first southern plant. Delaware's in the south? South of, I guess. Maybe it's a Canadian company. I don't know. Or maybe it's just in the south of Delaware. <laughs> there you go. Um, Now I also think that Wholesale Donuts is a good donut shop name <laughs> without the right. W. A million years ago, at my very first job, my boss realized that I had some sort of a natural talent. And for some reason, a desire to keep working in restaurants. And he took me aside and he said, Randall, you could be really good at this. And you could go far if you could just learn to keep your mouth shut. If you're listening to this, you'll know I took part of that advice. Wild. Okay. Um, I had, speaking of holes, have you ever had toad in a hole? Uh, no, I've heard of it, and I, we might have a recipe for it. Uh, does it, it? Do you need a like a Dutch oven or something for toad in a hole? No, 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 no. no. So this this is something that for serious does not require a recipe either. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to In the Weeds with Ben Randall. I am Ben Randall, and I'm Stephen Cadwell. And if you've never had toad in a hole, highly recommend. Very easy to make. So you take two pieces of, I used sourdough bread, but you want like an oval toasting slicing kind of bread right and you use a cookie cutter to cut a circle out of the middle of two pieces and then you fry them in butter it doesn't have to be like deep fry right but it should be a decent amount of butter 
and you crack an egg into the middle of each one of those. And then when you flip them over and toast fry the other side, you end up cooking the egg pretty much to your preferred amount of doneness. For toad in a hole, I like mine to be essentially over easy. So I cook them at a higher heat for a lower, uh, shorter amount of time. And uh, fucking great. It was a delicious breakfast and I'm very happy I had it. All it is just salt. It's just bread and eggs and salt and butter and that's it. It was my favorite today. So what's the one I'm thinking of that maybe requires a popover? Is there something else in a hole? There's a thing called a Dutch baby, which is a like a thin pancake batter almost edging up on a crepe and you chuck it into a really hot pan, throw that into a really hot oven and it puffs way up. Okay. But if you're not thinking of that, I don't know. And yeah, I'm skipping over the is there anything else in a hole joke that you were working on. <laughs> no, it was an accident. It was accidental. Uh, because yeah, I've definitely heard of Toad in a Hole, then, but I don't think I've ever had it, no. It has many names. That's the one that I know. Uh, but yeah, they're all basically bread with a hole in it that's got an egg in it. Yeah, you'd think it would be egg in a hole, but hey, Toad in a Hole, whatever floats your boat. Right. Well, it's British, which means that it's got to have some sort of a baby talk name to it, you know. Yeah, well, maybe toad in a hole is well, no, because then the hole I think would be different too if it was just Cockney rhyming slang for egg in a hole. <laughs> right, right. But yeah, uh, who knows? Still, right. now, now I want to know <laughs> where where it comes from. Etymology of toad in a hole. Oh, oh crap! There are at least sixty six different names for toad in a hole. Oh, good grief! How many originate in Bangladesh? Yeah, that's a very good question. <laughs> this article does... Okay, here we go. Egg in a hole, egg with a hat, egg in a trash can, egg in a basket, egg in a nest, egg in the middle, egg in a cage, egg in a window. I'm not going to read all these. Egg in a uh, trash can? Why? Why? <laughs> uh, eggs in jail, bird's nest, bird drop. We all know what bird drop means. Yeah. <laughs> uh, ox eye egg, elephant tracks, Marty Wilson, Betty Jane, Mary Jane, Adam and Eve on a raft. These... So basically, you it, you can just call it whatever the hell you want. There needs to be no actual connection to the food you're eating. In as much as one-eyed Susie, one-eyed Jack, one-eyed Pete, one-eyed pirate, lazy-eyed pirate, one-eyed Egyptians, one-eyed Texans, ah, uh, one-eyed snake. What? Hobo toast. Okay. Gaslight egg, which I feel like this whole list is gaslighting me <laughs> to a certain degree. <laughs> So here's my question then for anyone that's listening. If you've ever had this <clears throat> toast with a hole cut in it and you put an egg in it, what do you call it in your house? Because it seems to be ultra regional. Promise that this is a quote and I'm reading these. Um, so right after Hocus Pocus egg is Breg, which I imagine is bread and egg put together. Yes. And then peekaboo eggs and then toast tits. <laughs> uh, that sounds British and to then me as well. Yes, and then spit in the eye. I don't want spit anywhere near my food, so let's count that one out. Baby in a buggy, donut egg. Steve, we've brought it all the way back around. <laughs> it, it's almost like we planned it, except we just admitted that we didn't. <laughs> I would, without question, take... So, let me back up a little bit. Um, Krispy Kreme donuts, we've had them. We love them. There's a robot involved. We've talked about this before. Turns out there is a whole subculture of people who will buy day-old Krispy Kreme donuts and heat them very slowly in a cast iron skillet, flipping them over halfway through to caramelize both sides. And it warms it up very gently without staling it out. And I've had it and it is, it's like a music uh, cover. It's like a cover of a song okay. that improves the original song, right? <laughs> it's better than a Krispy Kreme donut. When you've had one of these caramelized ones toasted, um... 
I would cut an old Krispy Kreme donut in half and do told in a hole in that. I would have no problem with that whatsoever. I mean, the you, the only problem is creating a really stupid name for it because you'd have to create your own permutation now of of, and it can be anything. It doesn't have to be related to that. Um, Krispy Kreme tits. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Done. <laughs> we have to make it still sound kind of British. I don't yeah. know. See, we we could do a whole episode on like insane shit that the British call food because I was just about to pick my phone up and Google, hey, what do the British call donuts? But I don't need to know that right now. <laughs> I don't need to know that they're called like Holio Toasties or something. Like, ah, I'm good. <laughs> Holio Toasties is the cereal version. Yeah, yeah. Did you know there was a Peep cereal? No, gross. Um, Why would I, somebody I, make I, a Peep cereal? I only know this because um, they Sweetwaters had a Peeps donut. But it didn't have a okay. peep on it. It was their marshmallow fluff. It was a donut with marshmallow fluff on it. Um, and they're marshmallow flavored, whatever. And uh, covered in peep cereal, which had tiny. Oh, wow. It looks like Fruit Loops with tiny peep shaped marshmallows a la um, Lucky Charms. But they're peep shaped. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So the weird thing about this is, and it goes back to the verisimilitude we've talked about with other things. So we did get one to try. And because it looks like Fruit Loops. They're colorful like Fruit Loops, but they're the Peeps colors. So let's yellow and and the red and whatever color Peeps are and uh, blue. So you're like, yeah. oh, that kind of looks like Fruit Loops. And you pop one in your mouth and your brain's thinking, this is a Fruit Loop, but it tastes nothing like a Fruit Loop. It is pretty much <laughs> just marshmallow flavored uh, cereal. So it, it's a little, it's not terrible, but it's a little discon- disconcerting that way. Produced by Kellogg's. Wow. So I live in a, ne- a neighborhood now because we moved here in July, right? Seven or eight months ago. And nine months ago now, shit. And the grocery store in the neighborhood caters to a very specific market, right? We're in this sort of like a borderland between a an Indian, like India Indian population mm-hmm. And like a Pakistani population and a Polish population and a Hispanic population and an Italian population. We're in this weird sort of a swirling area for that. What you don't get is like when you go to that garbage fire Jewel Osco and their cereal aisle is like, it's like a kilometer, right? (laughs) And you see things like that. Like that used to be some of the fun, some of the reason that I would still go to Jewel even though I'd been boycotting them forever. You could go into that cereal aisle and find, yeah, like corned beef hash peeps cereal and be like, oh, wow, okay, I guess I'll try that thing. (laughs) Or what was the one? Wendy's um, chocolate malt cereal, which, to be honest, of the like, oh, I'm going to try this thing. It's packed with sugar. Why not? That was the one that was the most successful as far as like it tastes like the thing it wants to be, but it is still cereal, right? Like it, it it is still a... Like it retained the, it walked both worlds. It retained the flavor of the one, but the texture and the, the notion of the other one, I guess. Yeah, and right? that's not that's adjacent to like cocoa puffs anyway. So yeah, yeah, yeah. Some of those things lend themselves to being serialized a little bit more than others. But whatever it is about the grocery store in my neighborhood, they just do not go in for that shit. They're just like, no, 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 no. no. Here's like the twelve cereals we offer. If you don't like them, it just sucks to be you, I guess. Eat oatmeal, whatever. <laughs> And they're all flakes. So if you don't like rice flakes or corn flakes <laughs> or marshmallow I don't flakes, feel, you're done. Like, I don't feel held back by that. I've reached an age where, like, they really do sell a lot of old people cereals that are, like, really high in fiber. I'm okay. <laughs> I'm there for that, right? 
Every Great so often, there'll be like a weird variety of Cheerios, and I feel like that probably was a misorder or something, but <laughs> what are you going to do? Or someone's like, you know, we sell a lot of Cheerios. Let's do the fun Cheerios every now and again. Strawberry Cheerios, That that's, this was a bad idea. We should not have gotten the strawberry Cheerios. These are awful. Speaking of grocery stores, real quick, because I have not finished the book yet. I have been reading, ladies and gentlemen, this book by a fellow named Benjamin Lore called The Secret Life of Groceries. came out last year. Uh, it's wild. I can highly recommend this book. If you go to my Instagram, which is Chef Ben Randall, you'll see I legit just put up a picture of the book cover and I just said 10 of 10 would recommend. If you want to know like the ins and outs, like I did not realize that currently Aldi owns Trader Joe's and it's been that way for a long time. I didn't know that, right? I thought of them as being two wildly different things, but it turns out that like Aldi was developed by two brothers in Germany and they were doing okay. And then they heard about Trader Joe's like in the nineties, they came to the States, looked at Trader Joe's, changed their business model, and then eventually bought Trader Joe's also <laughs> like wild stuff. I learned that truckers, when you, when you join a trucking company, like a long haul trucking company, you sign on to do like this training thing and then you're doing six months of of driving with somebody who's training you and then you do three months of driving with that same person but it's changed a little bit but whatever but you're in this like sharecropping cycle of debt to the company where you end up netting like 13 grand a year total and you're on the road almost all the time Ugh. and you're constantly having to pay back to the company for the rig and for you know they they allot a certain amount of money to you for gas but it's never enough and like all this stuff i never would have known and there's a huge um for the for a minute i noticed this there were not enough short haul drivers to deliver stuff within a city right so like we would never have does pants want to be a short haul driver <laughs> i guess so he's 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 commiserating ah so we would, we would see new drivers from our produce company five days a week. We would get five new drivers, one per day, and it was weird. A lot of the long-haul drivers have moved to short-haul because it's it makes more money. They work less. They're at home more often. And so now there's no drivers for short-haul in cities because it's all been taken up by these long-haul folks who have gotten out of that. And there's a, a decrease in the amount of people who are driving long-haul. I had no idea about any of this stuff till I read this book. Like I, I felt it, but I didn't know it because I was seeing the the uh, aftermath of it. Yeah. Did, does it go into uh, because in my brain there there's a tickling of you know the one of the reasons why there are so many long haul uh, truckers needed anyway was because of the uh, big push by the automotive industry to move that way instead of trains, which could take care of a lot of the long haul stuff. Um, right. But but then uh, railroads really suffered because of the push for so. But I don't know how much of that's true and how much of that is being made up in my head. The main issue with that is that there, from what I understand, there wasn't really an infrastructure for trucking, and so the mishmash of infrastructure that's that now exists. There's like three big companies. There's Cargill. There's I forget them now. It's early in the book, and I'm like almost done with this book now. But there's like three big companies, then there's a bunch of little companies. But there is no just like structure. There's no infrastructure. There's that. There's not fail safes and things like that. So everybody's just kind of doing what has been done. But it only has been done for the last like forty or fifty years. And you're right. Train freight got edged out for whatever reason, and I think it was cost because for the longest time, train freight has been unionized. And there's, unless you are a teamster, there's a lot of these independent operators that are not part of any sort of a union in truck driving, and they can pay them next to nothing. Yeah. And then that cost savings 
reverberates up or or through the supply chain. Crazy. I mean, also, you can drive a truck right to wherever you need to go, but if you're shipping things by train, you need to have somebody go get them from the train. And so you still need to have that sort of a trucking structure. Yeah, that would all be all the short uh, short haul stuff, though. Yeah. Um, and I only, uh, part of it, it, my awareness of it is just fiddling around with train stuff, um, with some of my photography stuff, uh, and looking into things. You find old train ads for... Um, hey, put your freight on, uh, um, you know, uh, New York Central lines, and uh, you know, drive d- to put the trailer right on the right on the uh, rail car or whatever, and you know, all these advertisements for freight for all these, you know, like Milwaukee Road or uh, yeah. Michigan Central or whatever it is, um, railroads that you know are fallen flags now. They've been incorporated and absorbed by other railroads, and they don't exist anymore. But uh, freight freight like that doesn't exist. Neither does the um, passenger travel. Like right. uh, like it does in Europe, uh, to get from you know place to place, rail is much more common than over here. Yeah, but again, highly recommend that book, Secret yeah. Life of Groceries by Benjamin Lore. Um, come to find out that he is the brother of a good friend of a good friend of mine. So it's small world, you know, I guess. But it's this is it's not like the jungle. This isn't an Upton Sinclair thing where this guy's doing an expose of like the dirty underbelly of groceries. It's more <laughs> of like the Here's how we're all being tricked together and we dig it, right? Like there's a lot of talk in this book about how marketers and people who run grocery stores want you to feel good about not only the grocery store you're going to, but the specific items you're buying and how they make you in some cases morally superior to other people because you're buying the thing that's organic or the thing that's wholesome or whatever. Right, right. And other people are not and how it is tapping into this sort of a class and caste warfare sort of a thing in this country with the specific goal of making you feel good about giving them money for a specific thing. And I'm reading all of this and I'm like, yep, I am. I, I am more aware that I am doing that because I just am. I'm, I'm more connected to my ingredients. And it this book sure made me feel better about the fact that I've got five varieties of tomatoes in my basement. I have oregano, basil, I have two different kinds of sweet peppers. I have zucchini and I have two different kinds of pickling cucumbers that I'm going to grow the fuck out of this summer because I do want to be closer to what I'm eating. And everything about groceries is manipulative. Every yeah. single step of the way, it's manipulative. Yeah. Well, the 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 little passage you sent to me uh, about the Piggly Wiggly guy was fascinating. <laughs> Let me read that real quick because that did crack me up because we've talked about it in the past. What a stupid, weird thing to name yeah. a grocery store. And this comes directly out of this book. And like the assembly, this is a quote, and like the assembly line, it would reduce labor costs, cutting overall staff and allow the owner to hire largely unskilled workers to do little more than fill shelves. This is talking about grocery store switching from a model where you place an order at a counter and somebody brings it to you as opposed to people being able to wander the stores. Back to the quote. One day, watching beady-eyed piglets charge a trough, Saunders decided the piggies are laughably similar to customers charging an overwhelmed clerk. In honor of all of his piggy little customers, he names his new store Piggly Wiggly. I imagine he didn't tell anybody that at the time. <laughs> well, it does It does seem like he was naming it after the, uh, the clerk that, for the mercantile or whatever, where they were placing the order and the yeah, guys. Yeah, yeah. Um, but I have, I have said this before, like when I, when I haven't been inside a Walmart in a while, because we usually do uh, curbside now. 
Yeah. So I haven't actually been in a place like that for a while, but you know, walking through Walmart and going past. Uh, do people even still buy DVDs? I don't know. But going past the <laughs> DVD place and they just fill a bin full of them. They're like, hey, discount. But you have to rifle through. I always yeah. I feel like livestock doing that. I've always yeah. felt like this is a trough full of stuff that you've put down to two dollars and I'm going to rifle through it thinking that there's something good in here. But it just makes me feel like you really don't care. <laughs> right. Right. And unless it has the uh, mid-1990s Brendan Fraser blockbuster The Mummy in it, there's nothing good in there for $2. So he's put one like in the bottom against the side of the <laughs> mesh so that you know that there's one in there. And you don't see it and you pick up Scorpion King instead? Fool's gold. <laughs> it's absolute fool's gold. Or accidentally pick up something called Mommy that has Brandon <laughs> Fraser in it. Yikes. All right, so... We should start a book club. <laughs> I keep reading these books. Oh, man, one more book thing. Sorry, I have to do this. I always say that I'm not going to, if I don't like something, I'm not going to talk about it. But this is going to be one of the exceptions to that. I read a book called Dishwasher, written by a guy named Pete something. I forget his last name. <laughs> I am not the market for this book. And I hated every page of it. Just fucking straight up hated it throughout. This is the chronicle of a dude who, from the late 80s through the early 2000s, decided that he wanted to wash dishes in every one of the 50 states. And if he had started with that notion as being like, this is what I want to do, that's a really interesting sort of like anthropology experiment kind of thing, right? What can I learn about America by washing dishes in all these different places? Instead, what this dude is, is he's celebrating... This like itinerant lifestyle where he will work for two weeks at a restaurant and then just ghost him, just quit and walk off. And he, if if he was saying, here's the abuse I suffered at this place, so I left, that's one thing. But his thing is, I got bored, so I fucked off. And I, as a restaurant operator, as a food service director, as all of the things that I've been in this industry, I've been fucked over by this kind of dishwasher so many times that I just can't allow this guy in his book to portray himself as this idol of ah yeah when i was done with the job i just walked off like everything about it just bothered me right down into the deep pit of my cook core you know <laughs> oh man also he's kind of making dishwashers everywhere look bad because he started making this like uh, not even an online order but like a mail order zine where he was doing he was recounting all of this and people were also digging it and i'm like you're this is the wrong message my man like i'm that sucker right i'm always a good employee i give my all to wherever i work because i feel like i have ownership and i have some stake in it and that sort of thing this guy the exact opposite and again i've worked with not this guy but this guy you know where it's just like i wonder if pete is going to show up today oh he didn't i guess we're all washing dishes just celebrating unreliability just fuck off man so so uh, a comment and a question Sounds like the comment. He's it sounds like he wanted to be Kerouac. Like this was his take yeah. on on the road or yeah. something and and that's who he thought he was in some yeah. way shape or form. So it wasn't really ever about the industry. It was about you know living on the road or whatever. Uh question. It took him 30 years to spend 2 weeks at a restaurant in all of the states when he never completed it. <laughs> So then you get to the very end of this book. Sorry, spoilers, ladies and gentlemen, for a book that I highly recommend none of you read. 
you get to the end of the book and he's gotten married and he's moved to Amsterdam because he has uh, dual citizenship, Ireland and uh, U.S. So he's able to activate that and then he can move to Amsterdam and he suddenly finds out that he has no career, no sellable skills and he's in danger of like just being a bum on the street. And at that point, you're supposed to feel bad for him in the book. And I'm like, that's what you get, motherfucker. You wasted all your time. Fucking off from restaurants and hotels and catering operations and stuff like this. You didn't, like, there's no learning. So I'm always a sucker for a narrative arc, too. This dude is the same dude who drops out of college after a couple of weeks in the first chapter. As he is married in 2002, realizing he has nothing to offer anyone in Amsterdam. Like, <laughs> the dude hasn't learned anything. There's been no change whatsoever. Like, you want to chronicle a journey like this. It's a physical journey, and it's also a spiritual or a mental or a personal journey. There is no journey on this guy's side. He wanders around washing dishes sometimes, and that's it. <laughs> Dude learns nothing throughout the entire book. And I got to the end feeling ripped off that I'd bought the book. It is curious that he he found someone that would let him be their barnacle um, and actually uh, actually wed. It would make make you believe that there must be some redeeming qualities of some kind if they're not work related. Yeah. Well, um, and maybe he's doing fine. Maybe he's great at whatever it is that he's doing now, and maybe he's found his way. And I don't wish him ill by any means. Right, I right. just like <laughs> my dude. You are proponing all the wrong lessons here, buddy. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I went on a journey to find myself, and what I found was nothing. (laughs) Well, and the other thing is that I have to admit that I am a sucker for this industry. I am that guy who will. So he has a rule in his book. His, His personal rule is that when he wants to quit a job, he just quits. And it's like instantaneous. As soon as he gets the feeling like, fuck, I should quit this job. He, it just, he just quits. Right. And he just like does not show up the next day. And a lot of it is in a pre-cell phone world where, yeah, like the boss isn't going to be able to get a hold of you. Whatever. That's fine. I have a personal rule that if I don't want to go into work three days in a row, I start looking for a new job. It is the same rule. It's just that my rule has like a certain amount of honor to it, <laughs> a certain amount of like care for other people. And well, that's and the thing that I'm looking at. too, yeah. because you're leaving your, you're not, you know, you're not going to be like, well, now I'm, you know, really cash strapped for the next who knows how long until I find a job that I can't count on a recommendation for because I walked out on the last eight right. people. Right. Yeah. Like, this is a book that I wouldn't want my children reading and thinking, oh, this would be a cool way to live. Because yeah. it would not be. The 80s. So he's got to be older than us because otherwise he started when he was 10 or, <laughs> or younger. Yeah, I mean, he was in the industry at the same time that I was. He started a couple of years ahead of me. But yeah, he's he's probably edging up on 50s by now, if not a little bit more older. Okay, so you think he was like 14 when he started doing dishes and wherever he started? Yeah, I mean, he, I guess it was, yeah, pre-college. So, maybe 17. Okay. I don't know. Regardless, ladies and gentlemen, if I can unrecommend a book, it's Dishwasher <laughs> by Pete something something. I don't, somebody recommended it to me, or I saw it somewhere, I don't know. Maybe I saw it at a bookstore? Because I know that I bought The Secret Life of Groceries at a bookstore, so maybe I saw both of them in a food section somewhere. But, yeah, Dishwasher, garbage. Okay, so here's my challenge for you, Ben. Because I know there's a book in you somewhere that that I, I know there's multiple books in you, but I know there's a book in there somewhere that would actually, you know, uh, um, you'd be excited enough to write that you'd get it all out before you got bored with it or right. or, or got distracted by something else. So uh, maybe this is it. 
I want you to write a book. Each chapter name is just one of the other names for Toad in a Hole. And uh, <laughs> so it's got to be a sixty-six chapter book. Yes, that. And maybe some of the chapters are like just two sentences, but that's that's the book I want you to write. And it has nothing to do with Toad in a Hole. Yeah, yeah, it doesn't have to have anything to do with Toad in the Hole. But each chapter name is just one of the other names for Toad in a Hole. Nice, I'm in. Maybe it's a serial killer, and each day for breakfast he has Toad in the Hole, but he calls it something different each day. I don't know, whatever. <laughs> nice, nice. <laughs> Man, so that's that's the book club we're not starting. Um, <laughs> wow. All right, where do you want to start today, Steve? We have have we skipped anything recently we need to talk about? Because I have four things to talk about that are essentially brand new. Um, let me see if there was anything extra interesting that we skipped. Um, I think we've pretty much touched on everything. Uh, uh, the only thing I think that maybe we have skipped over is the 3D printed quote unquote food. We didn't talk about that on the show. The, the cheesecake thing. I don't think so. Okay. Then yeah. Bring me up to speed on that. Cause I don't have that open on my computer. Okay. So you'd sent me an article from Smithsonian magazine. Uh, scientists 3D printed a slice of cake. Um, the seven-ingredient recipe shows potential for the future of making food with this technology. So the basic gist of this, anyone that's seen it, first of all, it looks awful. looks absolutely <laughs> disgusting. Yes. Um, and then it, also when you look through this and they, they have a little video and you watch the video, or maybe you sent me something about it and I sent you the Smithsonian article. Anyway, yeah, you, yeah. you found it and um, sent me a picture and then we found this article. And uh, it, it, the, the, everything about this is bogus. Um, Correct. It's it's not uh, it's not 3D. It's not printed, and it's not food. <laughs> well, it's probably 3D. But they have this little video, and they uh, they have the 3D three uh, 3D printing elements, um, and they are literally graham, uh, graham cracker crumbles, peanut butter, jelly, Nutella, banana, frosting, and cherry in like syringes that they're just squirting on top of each other, and that that's not. That's not cooking in any way, shape, or form. Right. It's telling that everybody... So everybody who was on this project, not cooks, not yeah. chefs, not food people at all. Like, the one guy that they interview the most is a mechanical engineer at Columbia University. That's fine. Maybe he's an excellent cook at home. There's no, there's nothing about this 3D printing of this quote-unquote cake that is cooking. Yeah. And uh, 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 Blue Tinger... Uh, it's just one of the people involved in this, I guess. Um, the, the cheesecake is the best thing we can showcase right now, but the printer can do a whole lot more. We can print chicken, beef, vegetables, and cheese. Anything can be turned into a paste, liquid, or powder. <laughs> That's not cooking. No. Turning no. something into a paste, liquid, or powder is not cooking. So the real question for me, of course, is what is the problem we're trying to solve for here? Because if this is just people fucking around, fine. That's that's absolutely fine. Just go ahead and, and fuck around with stuff, and that's fine. But what's the, what's the problem we're trying to solve for? And if the problem we're trying to solve for is my cheesecake is not fucking ugly enough, then these guys have <laughs> solved it. This makes – I have not tasted it, but this makes the most god-awful Frankenstein-ass-looking piece of cheesecake, and without question – far more expensive than just a cheesecake well and when you read this too even the ways that they're thinking about it have nothing to do with the ways that um 
people in the culinary arts think about food, which would be, I don't know, you know, flavor, depth of flavor, what work, what pairs well with other things, uh, what else you're going to have on the plate, maybe what you're drinking with it. They're thinking about this strictly in terms of, of uh, structure and whether or not it's going to hold its shape. Yeah. So because they talk in here about how they um, yeah, everything was uh, pretty sl uh, sloppy until we got the uh, graham cracker mix and we started alternating graham cracker and something else instead of just trying to make they were trying to make like a, just a uh, um, sort of a pool or a well in which to squirt the the jelly. And yeah. <laughs> again, this is just it's just it's amateur hour. Um even even worse than that, but they were just trying to get something that was going to hold its structure and look um, somewhat similar to a cheesecake. But this isn't even cheesecake. No, it's not cake either. It's graham cracker paste filled with peanut butter and jelly, basically, and a little bit of frosting on the top. Yeah, they they made like a peanut butter and jelly sandwich that the machine for making it would cost you fifteen hundred dollars. <laughs> yes. Do you have any idea how many peanut butter and jelly sandwiches I could make for fifteen hundred bucks that wouldn't look like a shoe? <laughs> uh, that's been vomited out by a yeah. whale. So it's. I also want to be very clear that, like, yes, maybe we're seeing the the shell cracking on an emerging technology, and this is just the real ugly stage of that. And ten years from now, maybe everybody's going to have a three D printer in their kitchen. Where they're like, man, you know what? I don't want to make a whole cheesecake. I want to slice a cheesecake. And they just hit cheesecake on there and it poops out a cheesecake. Maybe, but I don't know, Steve. We've seen so many, quote, emerging technologies recently. We're like, what was that oven that had downloadable time and temperature controls where you would put something in and you would just hit one button and it'd be able to cook anything for you. You'd never have to touch it. Yeah. Nobody has one of those, right? That's that's a uh, an emerging technology that never found a market because nobody ever asked for that i feel like 3d printing food is another thing where like nobody's asking for this yeah. and i don't know what they're solving for well i mean it, my thought was um initially before actually reading more into this uh or reading this article um that uh, you know maybe this is the first step in getting to the replicator which is putting things together on the molecular molecular level if uh, you're right. a star trek uh fan that's uh how they do that and um but no, this is not that, and I don't think this leads to that. And I don't think we need to 3D print everything. Like, right. That it's hip right now, or it's 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 uh, trendy um, to talk about 3D printing, but that doesn't mean that everything needs to be 3D printed. Some things are okay if they come out of a regular printer, or maybe if they're not printed, quote-unquote, at all. Yeah. It's also, like, I take issue with a lot of the terminology in this article. So, quote, in the future, people might be able to buy 3D printers for cooking in their homes, but the price could run to $1,500 per the magazine New Scientist. Crucially, though, these printers would also need recipes to function. If this technology were to hit the market, it's like having an iPod without any MP3 files, Blutinger tells CNN. So there needs to be a place where you can download recipes, create your own recipes, and get some inspiration for what you actually can do with this machine in order for it to take off in a really big way. First off, it's not cooking. Right. So if it is a 3D printer that creates food or that assembles food, that's fine. That's not cooking. So you can just take that notion right out. Also, I can't imagine sinking 1500 bucks into any single use device like this because you're like, you know what you're not getting out of this? You're not going to get soup out of it. You're not going to get scrambled eggs out of it because there's no heating, right? Everything right. you get out of this thing is going to be cold and it's going to be mush based 
like this could be an extremely expensive machine that makes baby food. Yeah. Well, that's pretty much what you have to use for ingredients. This yeah. was this was one of my favorite lines in it. It definitely tasted like something I hadn't tried before. Bludinger tells Guardians uh, Ian Sample, referring to earlier uh, collapsed attempts at the slice. I rather enjoyed it, but it's not a conventional mix. We're not Michelin chefs. No kidding. <laughs> <laughs> you're also you're also not uh, Waffle House chefs or yeah. uh, hot dog stand vendors. <laughs> you're. <laughs> Well, I hope they're not Waffle House chefs, because then we're in danger of them coming and throwing chairs at us. I mean, but a waffle seems like something that, yeah, <laughs> a waffle seems like something that could be 3D printed. If, if you're squirting something, because people do that with pancakes to do designs, right? You put pancake yeah. batter in a squirt bottle. Yep. Um, so that's, you're 3D printing a pancake. You're just doing it manually instead of, you know, using this. And this also looks like it would be a nightmare in terms of uh, cleaning and making sure that things are sanitary. Interesting you would say that, because I was just about to bring up this other quote from this article. Researchers say in a statement that 3D printing could help with meal planning and might make food more sanitary by reducing human handling of it. Yeah, until somebody has to clean out all those nozzles, and you know how well people clean the nozzles on, even like a Coke machine, because you go to uh, Cracker Barrel and someone serves you the cleaning solution they were supposed to use on the uh, coke machine instead of water yeah because they must have just put the coke machine nozzles into a container of water instead right like nobody's gonna clean this shit at home you're gonna have botulism all up in your 3d printed pancakes yeah i mean the, the people that were really taking notes and really really giddy about this run squirrel the moldy jam place yeah yeah, yeah exactly I don't know. It's, again, maybe we're seeing the very beginning of some sort of a technology that's going to totally take over the world. But, like, A, it's not cooking. And, B, I don't see that it solves any problem that exists right now. At least not for me, right? Can I envision a place where you have a barely paid labor force that's living in a camp somewhere doing some sort of a thing and you have a bunch of these machines that are just piping out glop for them to eat. Yeah, I can see that. I've seen that in lots and lots of dystopian sci-fi movies. Is that where we want this technology to go? Is that what we're looking for here? Yeah, I don't know. I agree with you that this is definitely seems to be solving for a problem that doesn't exist because as we know, cheesecake cheesecake already comes from a factory. So why do we need true. to uh, That's true. make it more of a factory than it already is? next question if you and i had a 3d printer for food and we were like we need to make something that's going to really showcase how cool this thing is what would we make keeping in mind nothing about it can be cooked on the machine <laughs> yeah it would have to go into a container right like i would recommend doing like a parfait of some sort yeah. like here's a machine that if you wanted to get yogurt and granola and a bunch of different toppings and stuff like that salad machine this will this has 50 varieties of things you can put in there and it'll kick out a parfait for you uh because again no part of it's cooked right it, it like uh uh you couldn't even do jello salad right? because that has to or that has to it be has refrigerated to so yeah. it'd have to be puddings you could do like multi-layered puddings right um and the other thing about this is so i don't understand what the definition of 3d printing is here um because uh, if 3D printing is just squirting something out of a nozzle, uh, Twinkies are already 3D printed and have <laughs> been for years. You yeah. know, pretty much any prepackaged food is 3D printed because it's squirting out of a nozzle before it gets thrown into an oven to bake. 
Um, Any extruded pasta, 3D yeah. printed. 3D printed pasta. So if you're an Italian restaurant, you can start advertising you have 3D printed pasta because absolutely. Oh my God, please do. Um, yes. Because it seems like it's one of those, it's it, un, like we were talking about with uh, wholesome, unregulated uh, vocabulary here. And, you know, so. So ladies and gentlemen, if you've never seen a, you know, restaurant scale or factory scale pasta machine, the pasta itself comes out through an extruder sideways. And there's a blade that spins that's in contact with the face of the extruder that cuts the pasta off at a regular size. So that's your penne. That's your uh, mastacholi. That's anything that's not like a spaghetti, linguine, fettuccine, any of those like long noodles, right? Anything that's either a tube or has a hole in it or that sort of thing, right? There's a blade that spins around and the uh, pasta is pushed through Play-Doh Pasta Factory style. And that blade cuts them all off at exactly the same rate. If you were to just tip that machine up so that the pasta falls straight down, it is 3D printing. <laughs> yeah. I would say more and, – and that they would be um, a more of a legit definition of 3D printing than the, this uh, cheesecake nonsense or whatever they were calling it. You could – if you had boiling water underneath your 3D printer, you could 3D print um, – fuck, I'm going to forget the word name – Spetzel. The German egg noodle called Spetzel, which is essentially that. You take the dough and you drip it into boiling water and it becomes a noodle, right? So you could 3D print that if you had boiling water underneath it. Well, at state fairs, they've been 3D printing funnel cake for eons. Uh-huh. Yeah. So instead of funnel cake, call it 3D printed cake. Make a mint. <laughs> so maybe the problem is terminology maybe the because yes we have 3d printers and everybody's like okay cool i can make a mandalorian helmet and paint it myself who cares right <laughs> and there's like a little bit of a of a utility to it where you've got people out there who are like oh i'm gonna 3d print a plastic gun and take it through customs fine but at the same time you've got a lot of people out there who see the end of it coming where it's like well we've done everything we can with 3d printing now like we can just make it better but we're not making anything different and so somebody in some board meeting was like, what about food? You can make food out of 3D printed stuff, right? And everybody was like, yeah, we can. <laughs> and suddenly fucking Ted gets stuck with trying to figure out how to make a cake. Who's never apparently made a cake before or I guess had one. Right. So, yeah. What it feels you? like this is the wrong solution to a problem nobody asked for a solution for. Absolutely. Yeah. Uh, hey, what are the ingredients to cake, Jim? I don't know. Uh, peanut butter, jelly, graham cracker. That sounds like <laughs> cakes I've had. <laughs> I mean, uh, wow. But also the terminology might be holding it back, right? Like if you were to develop a machine that could assemble food right in front of you, like the robots that we've talked about in the past, calling them a 3D printer probably hinders the entire notion in someone's brain as to what it does, how it functions, um, and how you get supplies for it and stuff like that. But if you're like, this is the Cake-O-Matic Bot 3000, yeah. that's a different thing. Like, you expect it to be a different thing. Now, if it makes shitty cake like this, then it's a shitty cake robot, you know. Yeah. And and maybe maybe the definition of quote-unquote quote 3D printing we're talking about is that, um, you know, Twinkies aren't 3D printed because the one thing in the one place doesn't compose the entire thing. Yeah. Like, it still has to be baked and stuff. And the other odd thing about, like, legit 3D printing is it's melting that plastic. So those things get use more heat than this thing that's supposed to yeah. be cooking. Yeah. Um, you know, because you can't, you can't do stuff that way. It's just 
it, it's yeah we don't need to apply that technology i don't i also don't need my food to create electricity so you know <laughs> you don't need to create uh photosensitive cheesecake either it's fine right I'm, I'm fine with it the way it is yeah problem nobody asked for to be solved that doesn't exist that's not being solved by a terrible 3D printed cake monstrosity. Yeah, all of these people need to quit their jobs and start uh, their journey of doing dishes in all the 50 states. <laughs> or go back to what it is they were doing before they got handed this shit assignment. I'm sure yeah. none of these people were excited <laughs> about it. They didn't take a minute and like source ingredients and learn how to make a cheesecake and then reverse engineer it and figure out how to do it. They legit, in this article, it says they went to a local, like a 7-Eleven or something to get the ingredients for it. Well, of course you're going to make a 7-Eleven grade uh cheesecake yeah except shittier somehow i mean what is their organization phi delta kappa <laughs> right oh if this is a uh, thesis paper y'all are flunking <laughs> you are not getting out of whatever engineering school you're in is there a disproof of concept <laughs> <laughs> but again i mean maybe we'll be eating our words and eating 3d printed cheesecake in another year i don't know i would be shocked to find that out anything that yeah. needs to be cooked as these guys are claiming they're cooking Ain't happening in that machine. This is yeah. not cooking. It's at best, it's assembling, and at worst, it's squirting. Yeah. <laughs> Here's your squirt cake. Squ squirt assembling. <laughs> I've I've had this discussion with people before. There was this rash of out in California, raw vegan restaurants, right? Where it's fine if you are a raw vegan, that's great. Is it cooking? I don't know. Because I find application of heat to be intrinsic to the term cooking. Yeah. I could be discriminatory in that. I could be wrong about that. Well, no, because that's the opposite of raw is cooked, right? Yeah. So, so. If, you, if you are a kitchen employee at a raw vegan restaurant, are you a cook? I don't know the answer to that. I don't want to say yes or no. But my gut says you're not cooking. You could be chopping, slicing, mixing, assembling, plating, all of that kind of stuff. You're not cooking. Yeah. The same way that a baker doesn't cook. A baker bakes. That's different. A pastry chef doesn't cook. Right. They're also a baker, but they're a lot of times a decorator and kind of a fucking scientist. Right. <laughs> like, yeah. I have I have massive respect for all these different chunks of the industry, but like, are you a cook if you are in the kitchen at a raw vegan restaurant? I don't think so. Yeah. And and I think you're right in terms of yeah you're at best assembling and at at worst squirting uh, uh, and I think I combine those the wrong way it wouldn't be a uh, squirt assembler it would be an ass squirter um, yes. yes so yeah you'd be escorting your um <laughs> your 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 dish uh, and given the picture I saw of that cheesecake escorting sounds just about right <laughs> yes the escorter 2000 hey, ooh tough to sell <laughs> <laughs> oh so yeah we didn't talk about that now we have <laughs> <laughs> ladies and gentlemen if you've ever experienced 3d printed food please get a hold of us usually i uh accidentally wait until the very end of the episode to say this but my instagram is chef ben randall i'm on there embarrassingly often uh easiest way to get a hold of me is in the weeds wbr at gmail.com i generally reply fairly quickly this week in particular i'm on vacation we should talk about that so i'm replying to everything like super fast uh we have a facebook page and a facebook group and steve runs a website for us in the weeds wbr.com 
where you will be able to see pictures of the Asquarter 3000 cheesecake thing if you would like. Because Steve always puts up like the background information on the uh, stuff that we talk about. We talk about sort of surface level stuff. (laughs) (laughs) The articles that we are referencing get way into it. Yeah, yeah. So before we do restaurants closing, you know, at the drop of a hat, uh, ladies and gentlemen, once again, if this is your first episode, you're 45 minutes in, congratulations for your staying power. Uh, I am a working chef in Chicago, and I currently run the food service for a private school, and it's the greatest job I've ever had in my life. And I say that as someone who has been on vacation since last Wednesday, today's Monday, and I'm on vacation until this coming Friday. If you're not working in schools, holy shit, you guys. (laughs) like i get it i remember working in restaurants it was amazing i've worked in some bakeries i've worked in uh stores you know i've done retail i've worked in butcher shops like i've done all this shit let me tell you about schools so the kitchen i run is scratch i say 80 percent scratch right sometimes like we don't make our own mayo but whatever yes we're cooking for children but we cook for a group of people anywhere between four years old and like 75 years old because we have to cook food that the adults are going to want to eat as well as what we want to eat because we eat two meals a day there and i work from 5 30 in the morning until about two in the afternoon monday to friday and i've got a fuck ton of vacation time every year because we are on school schedule right it's wild so if you're not working if, if you are working in a restaurant and you're like this shit sucks still Look at private schools. I'm happy to talk about my particular company uh, in a more private way. I try not to blow them up on this show, even though they're great. And I have had zero trouble with my company across the board. Uh, I'm trying not to cross those streams. You know, it never hurts to be careful. Yeah. But yeah, I feel really pretty good right now. I've been on vacation for six days and I've got four more still coming up. And uh, it's rad. And the end of the school year is on the horizon as well, right? We have eight more weeks of service and then the school year is over. Yep. It's, uh, it happened really fast this year. I feel like this time every year I say it happened really fast this year. But one of the things that my staff and I decided, because we did lose a staff member very, uh, well, speaking of that fucking dishwasher guy, I believe we talked about this, but it's worth recapping Mm -hmm. that I had, I'm a big believer in honesty and giving people as much information as possible, Steve. And in my industry, you can be an excellent cook, you can be an excellent employee, but certain jobs just aren't for you. And that's okay. It is totally okay to find out, yo, this job's just not for me. Had an employee for whom that was true. And I had spoken to this employee. In two months that this person worked for us, I spoke to this person three times. And twice had to call this person to find out if they were coming into work and was waking them up to come to work i am not this person's dad so i stopped doing that but the second to last discussion we had i just laid out all of the job duties of the role this person was in and i said here's the stuff you're supposed to be doing you're doing some of it you're not doing some of it you've been here for two months you really should know better by now let's talk again in a week and this person was like rad so this person did not do the things that i asked him to work on By the time we were supposed to meet again after a week, this person dodged me, went home for the weekend, and then on Monday, sat this person down, and we talked through some stuff. This person gave me their notice, and I said, look, this is fine. You give your notice, you work out your two weeks, you give me time to find somebody to replace you with, no harm, no foul. You'll be rehirable by the company, whatever. Does not show up for three days, which my company concludes is uh, voluntary job abandonment. So that person's gone. 
I'm being as vague as I can because you just never know. Chicago's a pretty small town. Now, one thing that I found out is that this person, I don't know if we talked about this part, this person got a hold of home office and complained about their quitting, which home office is like, you quit though, that's weird. And this person said that they had intended to come in on Tuesday, but I had not called to wake them up. And so it was not their fault. <laughs> and your reaction, Steve, is exactly what my boss said when he laid this out to me. He was like, that's a new one on me. I've never heard that before in my entire career. I was like, right? That is wild. So it's my fault I did not call this cook up and say, hey, I know you put your two weeks notice in yesterday, but are you coming into work today? That's my fault, apparently. Uh, yeah, yeah. Wow. Good luck with the uh, unemployment. But he has, or they, uh, he or yeah. she, I don't know. They have another job anyway, right? Yes. And that was the other thing. This person was about to get a promotion at their other job. And I said, this doesn't look like it's working out for you. That does look like it's working out for you. I want what's best for you. Because in this particular case, what's best for you is to go and focus on the other job. And you're bringing everybody down here. And you're not doing the job that we need you to do. I would like to get somebody else in here to do this job. You go focus on that one. Everybody wins. And then not. But my staff came to me after we had another applicant not show up for an interview for this person's job. Because as soon as I had initial trouble with this person, uh, I put the job ad back out. So this is before this person even quit. Because I'm not a dummy. <laughs> we had... 30 people apply. I got that down to 10 or 11. Did phone interviews with five. Had one person scheduled to come in for an interview. That person did not come in. My lead cook and my cook two took me aside and just said, let's not fill that spot. We have, what, eight weeks left of school? We're not going to bring somebody in. And they're talking to me from a wage staff member perspective of somebody who does not get paid over the summer. They were like, why would we bring somebody in who we're just going to work them for two months and then say, okay, you're off for the next two and a half months. Yeah. That's rude. I was like, oh, my staff brought it to me as that's rude. And we have decided to all break up the work. I'm going to do most of it, but we're breaking up the work and everybody's going to chip in a little bit for this person's station and it's all going to work out for the next eight weeks. Okay. And then I get the whole summer to find exactly the right person to put in that spot. Yeah. And in fact, I think one of my new staff members wants that spot. So I'm going to replace this new person with somebody else, <laughs> you know? <laughs> And, and we're all going to win. It's going to be a little rough, but the difference between being understaffed on purpose and being understaffed suddenly is huge as yeah. far as morale goes. And when everybody's happy and everybody's decided that they've chosen to help out with this thing, it's a totally different vibe. Yeah. Am I getting more work out of my staff than I'm paying them for? Probably. But I did just get them all significant raises this year so they can suck it up. <laughs> <laughs> and being, being in the – I mean, it's just – morale is a big deal so um you know if, if yeah it keeps morale high despite a little bit more work that's a bigger deal and especially knowing that you're going to be finding someone that's probably a better fit so yeah yeah win-win again occam's razor if i have five people in my kitchen who are fine unless this other one person is there and this other one person says everybody else is the problem, I think I know who the problem is. Yeah. <laughs> right? There was no drama in my kitchen between any of the other five except when this person was involved. So in addition to not doing their job, this person was also causing drama. That Honestly, that benefited me because the moment this person was gone, everybody was happier. <laughs> right? It's like stepping out of a pool and all of a sudden you're very much warmer. Right? It was exactly that. So... It has benefited me. Again, I do have this 
there's there's a an aura things just sort of work out for Ben Randall my brother pointed it out to me years ago is this the way I wanted this to work out no but like everybody's so much happier now that this person's gone that they're all willing to chip in and do this job and we're just we've just kind of divided it up which is great to be fair um when I don't get my wake-up call I get upset as well so I mean if the wake-up call was scheduled Ben you gotta so that A, not scheduled. B, <laughs> this person lives far enough away from the job site that if I'm calling to find out if they're awake, they're an hour away. <laughs> not my job. I never say something's not my job, but ladies and gentlemen, I'm sorry. If you come and work for me, it is not my job to make sure you're awake to come to work at. Also, we work the same fucking schedule every day. It's not like, oh, I didn't know I was working today. Yeah, you did, motherfucker. It was a Tuesday. So, that. <laughs> It's weird because my phone has an alarm on it. Um, <laughs> my phone has like seven alarms that on I it. could set for any time that I wanted yeah. and make it even. I could probably even set it to my ringtone. So it was as if I was getting a wake up call. Just weird. Weird. Yeah. Yeah. All right. That's enough of that, though. That's yep, enough yep. about me. So <laughs> I sent you this article and I do not know anything about this beyond what I've read in the article. And this is nowhere near me. But it feels weird, and I wanted to talk to you about it in case you had any ideas. Ladies and gentlemen, we're going to speculate. Yeah, wild speculation. This is, this is from Eater Carolinas, Asheville's Holman and Finch, uh, another donut place probably, public house <laughs> closes suddenly. A sign taped to the front door says that April 5th was the last day of the Atlanta transplant. So these folks had a restaurant called Holman and Finch in Atlanta, and they moved it to Asheville, North Carolina. Um Short story on this, nobody knew they were going to close publicly or privately because the staff who were working lunch that day were asked to call the PM staff and tell them not to come in because the restaurant was closed. Yeah. It happened like over a couple of hours. That, that I think, is the most surprising because – like I texted you, I I have been aware of, though never a part of, and listeners, if any of you have ever been a part of a restaurant that is suddenly closed, I'm really curious as to um, your story and uh, um, if you know why or even if you don't know why, like when did you find out, how did you find out, because there was, um, in Wrigleyville, there was a, a Sweet Baby Ray's barbecue place that is now a taco place, or it was anyway, Um. But it, 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 we were going to go there because I don't think we'd been there. And we're like, hey, let's yeah. go check it out. And there was a sign on the door. And I think there was a server standing outside, like, looking around like they'd been hit by lightning, being like, I didn't know that they had closed and I was until I arrived for my shift. But that happened overnight. This one, yeah, in the middle of service, they decided, you know what, we're just going to close down after lunch. Or, you know, we're, we're stop when these tables are gone or whatever. And it, that's just – I what – I mean, apart from a gas leak, why do you close in the middle of service? Right, and that's the question I have. So my gut reaction is they're getting out of town ahead of the cops, which is a that's 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 a line. That's not like they were actually being pursued by the police. But I do not know of any legitimate reason to close after lunch service without having discussed any of it with anybody. Like if the staff knew what was going on, they're not talking about it because. Uh, 
Quote, a now former employee who wishes to remain anonymous tells Eater that the staff was blindsided by the closure. They say it began in the middle of lunch service on April 5th when management was directed to call the evening staff and tell them not to report to work. As lunch service ended, employees on site were told the restaurant was closing immediately and the sign was posted on the door. That feels like we got to get the fuck out of here. However, A, I don't want to say that because I don't know. So I'm not accusing these folks of anything. They still own and run two other restaurants, Holman and Finch in, uh, no, that's the one, that's the one that's there. So it closed for a minute and then it reopened. They also still own Holman and Finch public house in Atlanta, H and F burger and hops chicken in Atlanta's Ponce city market. So it's not like they're trying to disappear. The, like if you wanted to find these two you get the i'm sorry the the restaurant group is owned by chef linton hopkins and his wife partner gina if you wanted to find them you would just go to atlanta and go to one of their other places so it's yeah. not like they're disappearing right so it's not like oh no someone slipped and fell in the cooler let's shut it and lock it and get out of here right um, and and you know fly to where did that one person fly to argentina from uh <laughs> right, right from right. the island or whatever um yeah so it's not a, not like something illegal um happen because yeah they, they're going to be easy they're in the phone book as it were they're yeah, going to be easy yeah. to find um so i tried to google i could not find a list of like sudden closures because i mean like we said it's it's not it's not completely uncommon um right. but uh, i did find some other articles about some places here and there and some of them like one i saw and i'm sure this has happened in chicago but one i saw was you know um, whatever neighborhood neighborhood is sad to see whatever restaurant go, but the property is being redeveloped. Um, right. So maybe it was a situation like that where it was like, look, we've been in, they've been in conversation with whoever they were renting from, the building from, or whatever. They were hopeful that they were going to sign a new uh, another lease for longer, um, and it just didn't work. So it was like, okay, we're done. Maybe everything ran out in the kitchen because i feel like what a waste because surely they had yeah. more in the kitchen right so well and that's that's a great question that i wanted to follow up with which is let's say there was some sort of a lease agreement let's say somebody else bought the building let's say somebody else was going to be uh taking over the space as a restaurant no part of that conversation is you got to be out by fucking three like that's right. not, that's not how any of that works and so like even Unless they knew for a month that this lunch was going to be their last day, in which case, then that was just handled really badly because you have a blowout. If it's going to be your last day, you have a blowout. You have a block party. You do something insane, right? And you do exactly what you're talking about. You get rid of all the food. I would like to talk to one of the cooks. If during lunch they were prepping for dinner, that's a completely different story. That means nobody knew anything and something untoward was going on. But if the cooks were told keep your fucking mouth shut, but don't prep anything for dinner tonight. We're going to be closed. Or even if they were lied to. Yeah, don't don't prep anything. We have a private dinner or something like that. I would like to know all of those things. Uh, again, I don't want to accuse these folks of anything. The last four years in restaurants have been exceptionally rough. They really have. People are making wild decisions that they just like have to make. But everything about this just feels real twitchy. Yeah. Because I, I understand, I guess, servers getting blindsided, but but like you said, if the, if the cooks were also blindsided, because someone has to notice, you know, we haven't gotten a truck in three yeah. days for anything. So, you know, everything is, is beginning to run low in terms of a operating um, restaurant. 
So unless it was like the guy showed up to shut off the gas and they're like, <laughs> can you wait two hours um, or something like that? It's just really bizarre because you already open for the day. Why on earth would you open for the day knowing that, you know, a few hours later you were going to shut down forever? Well, and April 5th is a Wednesday, right? So like, what does that even mean? There's so much going on there that like, let's say, okay, so it's a Wednesday. Let's say they haven't gotten a truck all day. And there was some snafu with an order that wasn't placed or something. I could see, I, I don't know Chef Linton Hopkins at all. I, I wouldn't recognize him if I saw him on the street. But I know chefs, right? So let's say a sous chef doesn't place an order for all of the meat for the weekend or whatever. And this guy's just like, fuck it, we're closed. That's it. And like <laughs> turns the lights off, right? Can I see something like that happening? Yeah. Is it likely? Nah, not really. I bet it's closer to what you were saying. I bet some sort of a deal was going on where there's going to be a change in ownership. There's going to be a change in ownership of the business, the building, the whatever. And the owner simply did not tell anyone until it was like, uh, okay, now we're done. Because I bet they didn't want people to quit and look for other jobs with that sort of notice. That's the thing that I always go back and forth with in my head. As a manager of people... I do want someone to give me notice if they're going to quit. But if I'm going to fire you, I can fire you fucking tomorrow. And yeah. I don't have to give you any notice at all. So, yeah. Like, let's say you're going to close your restaurant. Your staff starts fleeing right away. Maybe you don't want to tell anybody till day of. Even if it's been in the works for a month or three months. But that's like middle of day of. So, I mean, looking <laughs> right. at the pictures of the dining room, too, I'm like, well, maybe it was like, okay, we know we have to close. Um but uh, they can, can we please just open tomorrow? Yeah, okay, fine. You can open tomorrow, but that's it. And he's like, good, because i got to get all that stuff off the walls. Or uh, I'm going to take all the copper pipe out of the wall. <laughs> you know, whatever it is. Like, hey, uh, <laughs> hey, uh, Jose, how long is it going to take you to uh, get this uh, stove in, into the truck? Because we'll be open right. that long, and then we're closing. <laughs> um, and then we're going to uh, flee with the stuff. There's a chance you're not wrong. Like, what if they had some sort of a deal going on and then the new owners were like, sorry, we changed our mind. Our painters are coming in on Thursday and it's Wednesday morning and you're like, fuck, I guess we're already open for lunch, but we'll shut down. And then I'm bringing in a crew of other people to strip everything out of the joint and I have to be out before Thursday morning. I don't know. Yeah. It's, there are so many different ways this could have gone down. However, I doubt the owners didn't know about closing on that Wednesday. I bet they knew. I bet they knew before Wednesday morning that they were going to close on Wednesday. Do you think it was a, like the owners woke up on Wednesday and were like, did we tell um, <laughs> did we tell them not to open today? Crap. Well, we better make some phone calls. Uh, you got to close. You got to close after lunch because uh, we shouldn't even be there right now, guys. Yeah. So, I mean, I look forward to updates about this. And I hope it was either a misunderstanding or something, or maybe the owners got blindsided by an abrupt sale of the building or something. I don't know. I don't want to necessarily cast aspersions on these folks, but like I said, people have been making really sort of wacky choices in what? the stress of operating a restaurant throughout this COVID era we're living in. What it was a Wednesday. What was the, what was the date? The fifth, the fifth. That's a weird date too. So it's not like yeah. you know, because you'd think they'd have the whole month if they were on a month-to-month -month lease, that right. that the whole month would have been paid for. And it is. It's just the beginning of tourist season, really. For I would think Asheville and some other places. Um, Easter brunch coming up. Yeah, uh, they missed out on that. Um, and the begin like spring break. Were they like, if yep. we don't make our money over spring break, then you know, because I wouldn't think all spring breaks have ended. 
Um, so maybe they were just looking at the numbers and like, yep, it's it. We needed to make X amount of dollars by lunch today. <laughs> uh, it still feels like a real estate deal. It feels like for whatever reason, they had to be out of the building at a certain time. And either that timeline was changed or the owners just did not want anybody to quit. And so they waited to the last literal last fucking yeah. minute to tell anybody. I mean, aside from a real estate thing, everything else seems dangerous because it's like, hey, yeah. guys, the sinkhole has grown 50 feet. <laughs> well, let's wait till after lunch. Okay. Be- I mean, anything else just seems, you know, it's like, well, the, yeah, there's a jetliner going to crash into the building. Well, you know, give us an hour. Um, I mean, or it could be what you said. Maybe like the water and electrical and gas got shut off that <laughs> afternoon. I don't know. Yeah. It's like, well, we've, we've got these pots full. We've got this much. But uh, yeah, I mean, I, it's... It's like this, the shutoff for whatever is scheduled for this time. So, you know, we're going to use every every last kilowatt or megawatt or whatever yeah. that we can until it gets shut off and every last dram of water. And um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know, um, because like I said, it, it's I don't think it's it's more common than one would, you know, an outsider would think for restaurants to close overnight. Like an, yeah. an overnight closure is the most common way for this kind of thing to happen and not as uncommon as, you know, people would think it, it does, it does happen. And, and for myriad reasons, but for it to happen in the middle of service is really, and, I mean, unless it was like, you know, we had only half staff showed up anyway. So we're just going to, uh, we're just going to call it quits. I mean, this is like literally throwing in the towel because that comes from boxing, right? Yes. Um, and it's like, Hey, you're killing my guy. We're throwing in the towel and the match ends when the towel hits the ground. Yeah. Um, it's done. So this was like, yeah, it's done. Lunch, lunch towels being thrown in. And as soon as it hits the ground, it's over. It's done. And I guess that's the weird part of it for me, which you also mentioned, which is why open for lunch? Like, what's the benefit of opening for lunch if you know you're going to not be open for dinner? Yeah. What is, why not, if you're not going to fucking tell anybody, have that sign on the door when your lunch crew arrives in the morning? Be like, haha, bitches, you don't work here anymore. Right? Like, uh, why open for lunch? And if they had a different dinner crew, it wasn't just so we could be like, we're paying you out in cash what we owe you. You're done. We don't have any more responsibility here because they're still going to have to mail checks to people. Um, you know, they're, they're, people yeah. still have to get their last check. There's still all that business that needs to attend to, provided they're planning on doing any of that. Um, and uh, like you said, they're going to be easy to find. So if you don't get your last check, you can be like, never got my last check. I know where you guys live. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, wild and i feel i feel bad for all the staff at that place however again it's an employee's market right now so i'm sure everybody working at that restaurant was able to just walk next door and find a new job like more or less immediately and uh just like me everybody's hiring right now i doubt anybody is in my position of having a crew that's so awesome that they can be like well we're gonna run understaffed for the next two months you know and we're just gonna sprint toward the finish line uh everybody's hiring so I'm certain that all these folks will be well taken care of, but it does suck. And that does take a minute. It yeah. does take a minute to find a spot to find a new job, no matter what. Yeah. I mean, anyone, oh, well, and this was the fifth, so I'm sure they, well, it's only been five days, but, uh, my brother just got back from spring break with his kids and, um, in, they went to Gatlinburg and, uh, um, he he felt like the the staff at some of the restaurants he went to weren't the most uh the, weren't weren't the friendliest um but i don't know if that's because it's kind of getting down to the end of spring break and maybe maybe they're getting a little tired of uh the tourists i'm sure there's lots of reasons why it could be the case and maybe my brother was a jerk i don't know <laughs> <laughs> last summer 
we met up with my, no, it might've been spring break. We met up with my in-laws between here and St. Louis somewhere. Maybe we had gone to Starved Rock. I don't remember. But we went and ate at a restaurant where the restaurant had a bar with seating and a full dining room and then outdoor seating. We were sitting outside. This was still like right in the meat of the pandemic, you know. And our food was taking a while and my sister-in-law was getting kind of twitchy. Not her fault. She's not in the industry. So I thought, I've got a couple options here. I could let this play out and let her exercise her demons on the waitress or I could intervene. So I decided I got up and I just walked into the place and I saw one bartender who was serving all of the tables in the bar and one server who was doing the dining room plus all the outside. And then they had one like busser food runner guy. And I went up to the bar and I said, you're not going to catch any shit from me. Things around here seem kind of slow today. Are you guys understaffed? And she looked around and she goes, what staff? <laughs> I said, all right, I'm in the industry, so I'm going to I'm gonna run interference at my table because my sister-in-law is getting kind of twitchy, but like any sort of an idea of when our food's going to be ready. And she looked at the computer and she goes, you're not far out. You're probably eight minutes. I was like, great. That's all I needed to know. But it was that. It was exactly that. Like they probably needed three times more staff than they had just visible in the front of the house. Who knows what the back of the house looked like? Yeah. And then you've got people, don't want to say anything mean about your brother, but you've got people who then go out to eat and they still want the level of service they got in like 2017. Yeah. Shit ain't going to happen. Yeah. And anyway. I don't, the, the only story he told, and uh, and again, I feel for you, those working in the industry in, in Gatlinburg um, right now, but he said they, so I, I've never been, but um, they took a, maybe a tram up, up a mountain maybe. And then there were two like sit down restaurants. Uh, and a couple food, one, one food truck and then like a hot dog cart. And he said they walked into the, they were going to go to the sit down place at the top of the mountain. So they went in there and he's like, Hey, what's the wait? And they're like, Oh no, we, we, we had to cut it off because the wait right now is too long. We'll be closed. You know, there's too many people. So he's like, okay. So they went to the hot dog cart, which was out of water and out of something else. <laughs> and he didn't want a hot dog anyway. So like, well, let's go. We'll, we'll go to the food truck. They went to the food truck, closed. So they walk wow. into the other place, and he's like, there's this one guy. He's, like, sweating buckets. He said he was really nice, but he was back behind. Uh, and I forget what it was, that the the thing they were doing. So I don't know if it was fully sit down or if it was, like, fast casual. But the guy's like, he was like, oh, my God. He's like, what's going on at the top of the mountain? Are they are they closed? Are they, do they have a um, a line? And my brother's like, oh, dude, let me tell you. He's like, we we tried to get in. They wouldn't let us. And he's like, what? Are you kidding me? And my brother, so my brother was like, uh, yeah, and you know what else? The food truck is closed. And the guy's like, the food truck is closed. <laughs> I mean, I could just see it because my brother's like, he was just working his butt off in there. You know, he's like, nice guy, you know, doing everything he could. He's like, didn't have any gripes about, about him. But he's like, uh, yeah, he was just, you know, booking it because every everyone is getting funneled to them because the yeah. place up the mountain was uh, – was not taking any more um, people on their wait list and uh, the food truck closed and the hot dog was out of water. So, you know, what do you do? Wow. At that point, it's like after lunch, I'm closing. <laughs> so you know what you need? You need a 3D printer to make real shitty cheesecake at that, <laughs> at that moment. That would fix everything. Yeah. 3Ds is what you call it. And everyone thinks you're like a Hooters. But, uh, oh, there you go. You're not. You're just shitty cheesecake. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. So, ladies and gentlemen, if anybody has any information about uh, Holman and Finch, again, I I hope nothing terrible happened, right? Because that's the one thing we didn't talk about. 
dude, somebody could have gotten hurt. There could have been a family emergency. There could have just been like, this was the last straw and it was some sort of a medical thing or something like that. I don't know. I hope that's not the case. I hope everybody's fine. At best, this is just really, really bad communication. Yeah. Which we get in the industry a lot. So if anybody has any information about this, we would love to know. We'll keep you anonymous if you want or not. Like if you want to roast these folks, that's also fine. <laughs> uh but you can get a hold of us at all of those different places i mentioned earlier and all that will be in the show notes as well yeah and if you work in a place where um spring breakers came um i feel like this is the first year where things were supposed to be quote-unquote normal yeah um so if you if you work in any of those places where there would have been a surge for spring break what was that like how were the people and how was your staffing and how did you cope um if you didn't close in the middle of lunch service um like, uh, like, how was it? Because uh, I lived in Orlando, which is a big tourist destination. Um, I lived down there for 10 years. And, uh, I mean, Chicago is a tourist destination, but not usually for spring break. Um, it's not seasonal, no. Yeah, so... Uh, unless but, you unless you count, like, Lollapalooza as being seasonal. Yeah, well, and then it's mostly vendors at Lala anyway, right? Yeah. So, uh, yeah, if you've been one of these places that's been hit by spring breakers, what was it like? How did you cope? Um, yeah, I'm just curious. One thing I will say that I bet contributes to all of this is that hearkening back to my interview with um, Jensen, Jensen Cummings, a couple weeks back, what you normally do when you staff up for a holiday, for a seasonal work, that sort of thing, is that's when you're trying to attract younger, cheaper employees, right? That's where you get your high school kids who are themselves on a break or whatever. My industry is having a hell of a time right now attracting young employees, right? People don't want to work in the industry anymore when they're 15, 16, 17 years old, right? And I don't blame them. We've done a terrible job of continuing to pretend like we're a fun place to work. We're not. (laughs) We're abusive. We steal wages. We will yell at you. Like all of that kind of shit still happens in restaurants writ large and yeah if you're a kid and you have the opportunity to either work in a restaurant where you're likely going to get yelled at from behind by your boss and from right in your face by some nasty old lady or you could uh sell subscriptions to your website where you assemble legos and make thirty thousand dollars a year you're (laughs) gonna do the one where you don't leave your house right there are so many more paths legitimately or not for kids to make money these days yeah they're not gonna go sweat in the trenches with the old nasty line cooks and the predominantly white male chefs who scream and throw saute pans right like they're not signing up to do that and that's the basis of all of your staffing quote-unquote staffing up for a holiday weekend or whatever right for coming into the summer in kalamazoo michigan right which is a lot of the jobs that i took when i was on break from school so yeah you've got people who are old like me (laughs) and we're not able to get those young kids in to carry bus tubs around and shit so now we're cranky too because we're having to do more of the work you you know what's uh, interesting because i was just thinking as you were talking about you know we you've compared this from day one um, working in the industry to uh, being on like a pirate ship. Yeah. Um, and uh, just how that kind of correlates to even what you're saying now in terms of like old timey, like pirate ship, like uh, with rigging and all that, like old timey yeah. sailing ship, like uh, Columbus type, you know, era sailing ship, wh- which was grueling labor and you could die of scurvy or falling overboard of lots of other things. And um, a lot of restaurants are still like that. 
like still the old school sailing ship with the rigging yeah. and you could die of scurvy or falling overboard or whatever <laughs> like that that kind of grueling labor um that probably isn't very attractive to a lot of younger um folk because they look at they're like well we can have a boat with a motor um why would we need to run around like nuts and then you also have the like the the two types of sailing right now would be yeah i guess if you're running a tall ship um but you wouldn't be running it like you know captain bly uh, <laughs> but the other the, the real sailing that goes on nowadays are the preps right um with the sweater over, arms over your neck and you're you're going on your sailing ship um yeah, you know yeah. your sailing competition from uh newport news to bahamas or whatever or i mean uh, <laughs> you know grand canyon yeah. or I, I mean wherever they go uh, antigua is that where they go um but uh you know it's it's like a very upper class sort of a thing um but but otherwise you're on a navy vessel and you're like you know we don't do we we don't really need to know semaphore we don't you know we don't really yeah. need someone in the crow's nest because we have the, all this technology but not in a kitchen <laughs> well and i i leaned into the pirate ship metaphor early on in this show even on purpose in but i was celebrating it and now i've kept it because it is also still <laughs> accurate but it's awful right like who the yeah. fuck wants to be a pirate yeah and get scurvy and get yelled at all day and get attacked by a kraken right like nobody wants that yeah. for a minute i thought it was cool as part of the crew but it turns out that that's a culture that self replicates and makes the abuses into um trophies and that's no, no part of that's true right yeah. like if you're being abused at work i don't care what you do if you're being abused at work uh, you should not be abused at work and yeah. you should take something that's hot heavy or sharp and you know stab or hit the person who's abusing you and then they'll stop doing that right if you're in a law office that's probably trickier you have to hit them <laughs> with a book or something but like in general if someone's abusive to you at work you should tell them to fuck off yeah and uh i try to run my kitchen that way like the person who was being abusive at the job i was as gentle as i possibly could in getting rid of that person and then they ghosted us and whatever uh, but that just cannot be allowed to happen. So if you are trying to get people to work in your pirate ship, you better be real nice-ass pirates. Yeah, and and um, now that you bring it up, I don't think it's a coincidence, uh, the uh, phonetic uh, similarities between Kraken and Karen. <laughs> right, right. So, yeah. Man. Speaking of children in the workforce, let's <laughs> yeah. talk about an update to uh, the... I'm going to forget it. I don't want to look it up. Packers. Yeah. Sanitation. Packers sanitation. Yes, I believe so. Nice. So, ladies and gentlemen, we've talked about this before. There was a big crackdown, sort of, of a company called Packers Sanitation that is a cleaning company for hire for these large uh, meat packing plants, right? Where they have people come in overnight and clean the slaughterhouse floor and clean the very dangerous machines with big sharp blades on them and shit like that was discovered that over 17 states, there were more than 100 children working in this sort of situation, which is against the law. Uh, side note, Iowa is trying to change that law. Rather than fixing dangerous child labor, they're changing the law to allow dangerous child labor. Yes, there are some states that are doing that. Yeah, trying to. Yes. Arkansas, Ohio, Iowa. Iowa. So that sucks. But what we're talking about today is that... Yeah, maybe it's not just the fault of Packers Sanitation. 
So this is an article from Food Safety News. Parents helped 14-year-old daughter get a night job cleaning at a beef plant. Right. So I, this is the first. Go ahead. I was just say I feel like helped isn't really the right word, but yeah. Yeah, fair. This is the very first plant that we talked about on this show, which is really where all of this broke, which was JBS Grand Island, Nebraska. Quote, the mother of a 14-year-old girl who worked the night shift at JBS Grand Island doing sanitation work provided falsified documents showing her daughter was 22 years old, according to the Nebraska State Patrol. The girl's mother was pocketing her paycheck, while teachers and staff of the girl's middle school wondered about the 14-year-old girl's chemical burns and why she was falling asleep during the school day. This is how old my son is. I could not imagine taking my son to a place where he's going to be cleaning dangerous machinery overnight. Using chemicals that are so caustic that he's going to get chemical burns. Yeah. Taking that money from him and hiding all of it. Yeah. I can't imagine that shit. The parents have both pleaded guilty to child abuse by child labor. Their names are not being released in order to keep the minors, minor child's name from going public. The mother is sentenced to two months of house arrest followed by one year of supervised probation. The stepfather did a 30-day stint in the county jail. Unreal. And hopefully the daughter has been placed in custody of the father, unless he's a deadbeat. But, um, I mean, was all the money going toward makeup? Because I can't imagine passing your son off as a 22-year-old. He did get a haircut the other day, and he looks at least 17, but still, 22 is a fucking stretch. Yeah. Now, remember, it got sort of tricky because Packer Sanitation said, well, we didn't know these kids were underage which is a lie and jbs issued badges to them that had biometric data on it which is how those kids were able to get into the plant and actually clock in and such and there's no way that biometric data wasn't tied in some way to a social security number or something like that so everybody knew everybody knew what was going on yeah or they or it would have been real easy to find out like they were they yeah. were they were intentionally not doing due diligence in some of these cases. Yeah. Now, it's also telling that uh, Packer Sanitation just blithely paid the $1.5 million fee uh, once they were found guilty of employing at least 102 children from 13 to 17 years of age. Yeah. Done. No. Okay. It, it's like uh, some someone when I was in high school was like, yeah, speeding... Uh, um, speeding is a luxury because if you're rich, you just pay for the ticket and you, you, you continue to speed. Uh, there are two legal systems in this country. No question about that. I, we're about to find out how much of a divide there is. Obviously, the former president has been indicted on just the obvious criminal racketeering fraud. There's like 34 counts and he's parading this around as a witch hunt. It's like, my dude. Nobody finds 34 counts of fraud if they're just doing a witch hunt. Like, you can't make that kind of shit up. So yeah. we'll see We'll see how distinct the line is between the two forms of justice in this country. Right. Between those of us who just have regular-ass jobs and live our regular-ass lives and the uber-wealthy. Who, who are taking the money that we're feeding into the system and pocketing it. <laughs> like this girl's mom. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So, hey, if it again, Ben, you started working at 14. I did. Um, but you kept your money, right? 
I also, yeah. And it, and it wasn't like you, your parents had to falsify any sort of documents or been like, hey, hey, son, you know what you should do? You should go to work at this pizza place where they have wine on top of the oven. Um, no one encouraged me or forced me to work at 14. Yeah. Uh, this was 1992, which to me doesn't seem like very long ago, but to somebody who is only 14 now, that's the dark ages, right? Yeah. <laughs> also, it was a very small town. Also... I mean, I was getting cut a check, but like I said before, I was being very much encouraged by the crooked folks who ran that restaurant to cash my check at their restaurant. So I don't know how legitimate those checks were anyway, <laughs> because they knew I was always going to cash my check at the restaurant. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, statute of limitations is long gone now, right? Like I couldn't go back to those folks and be like, hey, <laughs> yeah, you put me in serious danger when I was 14. They would be like, who the fuck are you? <laughs> you know, uh, I got very, very lucky a lot as far as like not really being in danger, not really getting taken advantage of. But I was in a position where any of those things could have happened. Well, and I'm sure that there's some restaurants that have like 14 year old hostess or, you know, and, and there are there are places where 14 year olds um, can work legally and safely. Um, yeah. But if your parents are taking your check, <laughs> then why work? Right. At that stage, run away from home. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like, I do not want to malign this girl at all. She was clearly being taken advantage of. Yes. But, whew, that's a rough. that's a rough home life. If you're being told you have to work, you have to work in this extremely dangerous place, your grades are going to suffer, you're now being put into a cycle where that's probably going to be the best job you're going to be able to get because now this is the only work experience you have. And you're not doing great in school, and you're not getting anything out of it. The money is going straight to your mom. Like, come on. Yeah, and and also you're you have to tell everyone you're 22, and um, who knows what sort of abuse you can yeah. encounter um, with with those shenanigans. I mean, I don't uh, anyone working overnight at a place like that. I don't. I mean, well, I don't know what the boss in that situation is like, and how lascivious anyone else is in in right those places so why why would you want your 14 year old daughter um or son even you know um being subjected to an overnight in a, in a possibly questionable <laughs> right uh, uh yeah just um yeah if if you're if you're being forced to work as as someone who is under the age of 18 or even over no one should be forced to work <laughs> but if you're being forced to work by your parents and they're ke also keeping the money you know get some help now, if you're being forced to work in your parents' restaurant and they're not paying you very much, that's not because they're bad parents. That's because they're restaurant people and they're yeah. fucks, right? Like, right. that's just how we are, <laughs> right? So if I <laughs> if I owned a restaurant right now, any sort of a food service operation that I owned right now, you're goddamn right my son would work there and I would pay him very little, Yeah. right? And I would complain to him a lot about everything and I would yell at him <laughs> because I'm a restaurant person. Not because I'm a bad dad, but because the restaurant part of me would override that while we were in the restaurant. Yeah. Well, I mean, He would hate it. The same with farming, right? If you're 14 year old yeah. and you're working on your parents' farm um, or your family farm and you're not getting paid, um, uh, you know that's part of that lifestyle, and that might right. be the reason you exist was because they wanted you to be able to do <laughs> the work that you're doing. So, I mean, you kind of can be thankful. On they some were playing level, the right? long game. Yeah. <laughs> the other thing you could you could say, like in a farm situation, you could say that the money they're not paying you just goes into operating the household, right? So like that's where your shoes come from, kind of. Thing. Yeah, yeah. Uh, it would be a hard sell for the mom of this fourteen-year-old to say that. Yeah. 
Right. Yeah, especially if it's like, no, no, you, there's beef scraps around. You can make your own shoes. Yeah, yeah. Wow. All right. Do we want to talk about pasta sauce? In what in what way? Let me send you this. This was an article that was sent to me by a listener. And I need to go back and look and see who sent it. Because I feel bad now. I have to edit all this out. Oh, right, right, right. I remember this article. Yes, sure. Who sent me this? Maybe you told me when you sent it to me the first time. Now I know what to look for. Let's see if I can. Oops. All right. Well, someone sent me this, and I do not remember. So, <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, I am so sorry. But if you sent me this article, please remind me. Because it, there are so many different ways to get a hold of me. I can never find the the path that, that something came to me. Because I'm not paying that much attention. But this is from Atlas Obscura. The sauce that survived Italy's war on pasta. Subtitle, The Futurists tried to abolish pasta, and all they got was this delicious dish. Now, short story, The Futurists are fascist neo-nazis so fun fun well, times with that. i don't think even neo no it was yeah it's uh, uh pre-nazi yeah yeah <laughs> concurrent yeah in 1932, Italian culinary magazine La Cucina Italiana awarded their best pasta sauce prize to one chef's Sugo Marinetti, or Marinetti sauce. Said sauce stirred out not only for its unique combination of chopped pistachios and artichokes sautéed in butter, but for its ironic title. The firebrand poet Filippo Marinetti, for whom the pasta sauce was named, was at that very moment fighting to banish pasta from Italy. Basically, this dude's theory was... Pasta, as opposed to, say, rice or polenta, was making Italians fat and lazy and dumb, <laughs> right? which was which is super silly as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, I mean, but the, the real thing behind it was Mussolini, right, who wanted to yeah. convert everyone to rice because it could um, uh, it was more utilitarian. I mean, which is more right. more uh, socialist than it is uh, uh, Nazi, really. But in, in in that idea, right? So or more so, more socialist than fascist, I should say. Along with his proponents, Marinetti, who founded the Futurist Movement in 1909, blamed a tradition for Italy's declining world stature. Futurists embraced technology, war, and masculinity, while decrying museums, libraries, and many other long-held Italian treasures, pasta among them. Uh, yeah, that's in, definitely in this fascist. dude's like yeah, in this dude's picture which I presume he had taken for, like, a book, he looks really suspicious. Yeah. <laughs> uh, in the Manifesto of Futurist Cooking and the 1932 Futurist Cookbook, Marinetti imagined a world in which Italians absorb nutrients through pills, freeing mealtime to become a form of performance art enhanced by technology, excuse me, technology, perfumes, and music. He advocated for experimental, oftentimes absurd dishes, Salami cooked in cologne and coffee, for example, and the abolish the uh, abolition of the fork and knife. And most significantly, Marinetti cast pasta as a prime cause of Italy's backwardness. Quote, pasta is not good for Italians, he wrote, citing a very intelligent Neapolitan professor who said that pasta caused disorders in the pancreas and liver, leading to laziness, pessimism, nostalgic inactivity, and neutralism. <laughs> I am so guilty of nostalgic inactivity in as much as when I get a chance to sit down and take a little rest. I'm like, man, this is great. I remember the last time I did this. <laughs> that was all me. That was not a 
quote write this article. That's not continuing the quote. <laughs> so this seems like it was part of a thing and it kind of got away from them because this dude had all kind of ideas about how Italy should change, but it seemed like everybody got way up in arms about this pasta thing, which I think is great. It's a great way to point out that somebody's being silly. Um, and so they had this pasta sauce competition and the winner made this, what sounds great. I haven't made it, this pistachio and artichoke pasta sauce, but then named it after that guy in like an extra fuck you from the pasta lovers of England. <laughs> well, you know, it does say that the ironic title was neither an insult nor a joke, um, but a tribute. <laughs> It says the whoever the guy that did, that made it was a shrewd marketer, and in the 1930s Italy, it was a uh, it was fashionable to name recipes after national characters and heroes. Yeah, but Martin uh, Marinetti's name added a sarcastic cultural cachet to the sauce, though it is safe to say that Marinetti did not enjoy his namesake dish over uh, uh, the pasta, not in public at least. <laughs> so I, I found a chunk of this that is that speaks to what you were talking about. So quote Marinetti's anti pasta campaign may have had another inspiration. Prime Minister and fascist dictator Benito Mussolini, who was busy attempting to convince Italians to abandon pasta in favor of rice. He wanted to wean Italy off of foreign wheat imports, which were becoming increasingly difficult to acquire amidst international sanctions and a suffering domestic economy. Rice grew well in northern Italy, so Mussolini sent free rice samples throughout the country and bombarded Italians with pro-rice propaganda. Yeah. To be completely honest... While I understand that World War I happened, Europe got a little rearranged, World War II happened, and Europe got a little rearranged, it never would have occurred to me to think, but how did pasta fare throughout all yeah, of this? Yeah, right? Uh, and, and like, um, I'm not saying that Mussolini, um, any, any, any of his uh, ideas were legitimate, but I would say... Uh, feeding your country is a legitimate concern of of whoever's in power. So the 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 ideas here of uh, not discussing why Italy was being sanctioned, but um, just in terms of we it's we're having more uh, we're having difficulty getting these ingredients like any like running any kitchen. So maybe we need to be looking towards something that um, we can get or in this case grow. But the, I mean all the reasons behind this being much more dubious. Um, than that uh so yeah he was trying he was trying to switch to something that would um make italy more independent from the wheat growing countries or whatever um so that's why he wanted to go to rice so he was pro rice but then it i think it was probably the anti-pasta people that killed the idea more than the pro rice people right yeah yeah, because you can be like, we should do, we should eat more rice, and that's one thing. But as soon as you cross the line of being like, and stop eating pasta, then it's like, oh, now wait a minute, I was with you on the rice <laughs> thing because rice isn't bad. But stop eating what now? There's the the tail end of this article. Both Mussolini and Marinetti died in the 1940s, and during Italy's post-war economic boom, pasta became even more popular than ever before. So good job there, fellas. Yeah, and and I can't think of like another country that it would be. Well, I mean, I guess French is kind of synonymous with wine. Um, yeah. in a lot of ways but pasta in italy are so intertwined it's just i c oh, yeah. couldn't think of like one without the other no, you, for sure i mean there there are chunks of italy that do wonderful things with, with risotto with polenta things like that but that is always oh but that part of italy does polenta oh but that part of italy does risotto yeah it's not 
you don't look at uh, from from a near ignorant perspective like mine you don't look at italy and go well this is the pasta region of italy right <laughs> italy's broken down more into like well here they eat a lot more fish because they're on the mediterranean and that sort of thing but like i don't think of anybody in italy not eating pasta yeah i don't think of anybody in the states not eating pasta. well right and i was gonna say you know over here it's like you're eating macaroni and cheese and you can say you're eating italian because you equate pasta with italy um you know, and whether or not that's an accurate statement, I mean, whatever, if it has pasta in it, pasta salad, you're like, hey, I'm eating yeah. Italian. <laughs> Did we talk on this show about how mac and cheese was developed by the black slave chef of Je uh, Jefferson, Thomas Jefferson, and then his wife took credit for the recipe? No. We'll have to talk about that on another episode. That's... We should have done it during Black History Month. But there's... I forget the name of the dude right now, but I did talk about this a couple months ago at least on my instagram about yeah i had to learn that in the last year that mac and cheese as we understand it in the states was developed for the white house for thomas jefferson by his black slave chef and his wife was like yeah i made that <laughs> what a bitch uh but that was also the time where of course black folks had no agency yeah not like now where black folks have no agency right right yeah well, I was going to say that one of the scariest parts of this article is how much of it um, echoes in sentiment, if not in um, content, some of the stuff that you hear like DeSantis saying um, oh, yeah. down in Florida in terms of uh, um, some things that we need to get away from and, and whatever. And uh, just waiting. I, I'm really hoping that the Disney thing is the bridge too far for a lot of people with him because he's he's a lunatic. He's a lunatic. Yeah. yeah. The idea that we can't teach history in schools that will make people uncomfortable is antithetical to the entire idea of teaching history. Yeah. The whole purpose of teaching history is so you can go, you see what those dummies in the past did? How about we don't do that? But if right. we're not going to teach it, we're just going to do it again. But yeah. it doesn't make the people in the schools uncomfortable. It makes the adults uncomfortable who know that they bear some of that guilt. They bear some of that responsibility. Yeah. And so they're doubling down. That's fucked. Yes. And so you don't find out until you're 43 that mac and cheese was invented by a slave chef for Thomas Jefferson, right. right? Come the fuck on. Why didn't I know that before now? I know something as ubiquitous as mac and cheese. Yeah. So to get back to this article, marinetti sauce has potatoes, ham, onion, carrot, celery, butter, obviously, fresh parsley, tomato puree, capers, anchovies or anchovy paste, artichoke hearts, olive oil. I cannot wait to try this, to be honest. It sounds great. It sounds similar to a carbonara, and that's basically what it looks like. It's a, a, a yellowy, orangey kind of a sauce. And uh, this is one of those where you make the sauce in the, in a, like a saute pan, right? And then you are pulling your pasta out of it and tossing the pasta right in the pan with it and then spiraling it on your plate and topping it with uh, thinly sliced roasted pistachios. I'm not a huge fan of pistachios, but... This is not going to be one of these recipes that I'm like, well, I didn't like it, but I did change this and this and this and that. No, 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 no. I'll, I'll do this recipe as is, see how it is. Nice. It, it, this is also a reminder because I, I am at least um, one that tends to forget, uh, although it's you know difficult to forget sometimes when you're actually in the grocery store, just at the number of sauces that can be applied to uh, pasta. 
that's one yeah. of, i think one of the reasons why pasta is so great is because there are so many things you can do with it and so many sauces i don't know why there aren't places like froyo places that exist for pastas like get your pasta and then here's all the toppings and uh i mean i guess noodles and co might i was just about to say yeah think that they are that but um just like vats of sauce and noodles and um you know what kind of sauce do you want today kind of a thing uh, because it's just it, it is really limitless in terms of what you can do and, and the permutations you can make. Uh, well, and I, I hate to say it. I hate to say it, but like Noodles & Co. is actually a really good approach to that. Like I have three people that live in my house who all have very distinct likes and dislikes and tastes and, and approaches to food. And that's fine. You go to someplace like Noodles & Co., if you're out shopping all day or doing whatever and you just have to get some food into your kids so that they don't lose their fucking minds, <laughs> everybody can get exactly what they want, including me at a Noodles & Co. And it is that new-ish thing in American culture of, I want it my way. It's the Burger King thing done right, right? Because yeah. they don't say, here's our menu. And then you're like, can I get this with this thing instead? And what about this? You know, like, they are just like, here's a whole bunch of shit. How do you want it? Yeah. Here's a whole bunch of pastas. Here's a whole bunch of proteins. Here's a whole bunch of sauces. Here's a whole bunch of salads. What do you want? And you build it yourself. I've never had, I've never been disappointed at a place like that. Also, I know what I'm going to get when I go in, right. but like my kids are always happy. They can get wildly different things. They can get whatever they want. And it's great. And in fact, if I remember correctly, they even have like Asian-y noodle dishes as well, right? Yep. They do like a ramen kind of a thing yep. and whatever. Not going to claim that that's accurate at all to the original <laughs> cuisines, right. but like it's never been bad. Yeah. And, and, and you're right. It's a palette paint on it, you know? Yes. And I was going to say it's the uh, – um, that's just the closest thing we're going to get to 3D printing food, <laughs> right, I think, right. is a place like that. Because it's like, yeah, we've got all these components, but we're not, squ- we're not, we're not forcing them out some sort of syringe or tube. Um, yeah. You know, we're, because you can't do that. And, and uh, Noodles & Company is cooking um, – they can say they're cooking uh, the 3D printing, not so much. Right, right, right. So this is not uh, – this show is not sponsored at all by Noodles & Co. No. However, I will say <laughs> – I've never had a bad experience there. Have I been blown away by how awesome it is? No, but that's also not why I went there. Yeah, you you've know? never asked for a recipe uh, from the back. <laughs> there's also, and I've talked about this before, and I'm going to forget the name of the place again, but there's a place in Pittsburgh that's an entire meatball restaurant. And that's exactly what they do. They're like, here's our nine different kinds of meatballs. Here's a whole bunch of other shit that we have that's like a mac and cheese, and we have a different kind of pasta, and we have this rice, and we have polenta, and we have these other things. You pick your meatball, you pick your sauce, you pick your starch. If you want a vegetable, great. And it's all mix and match. Great. That's the Burger King approach done correctly. Where yeah. if you go into a place like that and you get something you don't like, it is your fucking fault as the customer. Because you put it together yourself. Yep. But it give, it puts the customer in control on purpose, which is great. As opposed to a restaurant that has legit menu items where the customer's like i want to change this and this and this and then they don't like it they're like well you fucked that up lady (laughs) and to think that if uh filippo marinetti had his way all these restaurants would be here's your bowl of rice get out (laughs) (laughs) right (laughs) what does a nazi rice restaurant serve (laughs) i don't even want to think about it that's really that's the whole joke yeah because of the German angle, I think of Nazis as being like big sausage eaters, but maybe there's a rice component too. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. I don't think of rice as uh, being um, that far north in Europe 
either. Yeah. I guess we'd have to ask that uh, GOP donor who currently owns the Supreme Court who has all of that Nazi memorabilia yeah, what yeah. Nazi rice dishes would I'm be. sure he's got a cookbook in there somewhere. Harvey Crow, Harold Crow, something like that? Yeah. Yeah. Yowzer. All right, so we've ended on Nazis. Uh, I do have an article about all of the influx of these like hard seltzers and stuff, but I say we save that for next week. Yes. Um, I, yeah. We can end on something other than Nazis, and it'll just oh, be sweet. this because it's brief. But um, speaking of meatballs, did you see the Mastodon meatball that has been created? <gasps> so many people have sent that to me, and I want to eat a Mastodon meatball so bad. You know, the fascinating thing with that, because they ha- they, the picture of it's like on a plate, right? Um, yeah. And stuff. And it looks pretty, pretty big. I don't know if it looks appetizing, but it's, you know, I think it, it's more of a scientific creation right now than it is culinary. But yeah. the thing that, um, that was super interesting to me was that um, I was looking at it and they said no one has tried, tried it yet or eaten any of it. And they don't know how a uh, modern immune system would react to eating mastodon which i thought was fascinating i was like is there is there danger there that because i that never even occurred to me that maybe like someone would have some strange reaction because is it that different than meats we have now immune system or like digestive system they said because it's not it said immune because but yeah i would think more gastrointestinal like maybe it's going to give you the squirts maybe you maybe maybe you're going to become the uh ass what was it ass squirter yeah Uh, yeah yeah yeah. well because it's not like they found one frozen in a block of ice and they thawed it out and said let's bite this thing they this was some sort of cloning technology or they uh edited a a elephant egg or something right like that's where that came from yeah it's lab-grown meat so lab-grown meat yeah it's just lab-grown mastodon (sighs) protein strands shouldn't i mean they can be more or less complex but i don't think it's that much different than eating any other kind of protein. You yeah. might like if if you get just the wrong person, they might find out they're allergic to it because that's allergies are based on not being able to break down a protein. But like, that's that's like one of those one in a million kind of things. Yeah, and that's why I would um, because it's not like it's completely alien yeah. to to the Earth. Um, if you can eat chicken and they somehow get dinosaur resurrected uh, meat wise, you'd think you could be able to eat the lizard, right? Yeah, I'm gonna eat that for sure. Um, so, so I wouldn't. That's why I was like, I wouldn't think that. So maybe, maybe I misread. Maybe it was just more like we don't know if it's gonna, you know, give people gas. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> uh, because I wouldn't think immune system. And if it was immune system, you'd think there'd be ways to test that uh, before you let yeah. anyone eat it. Well, have you ever had a fish called Escalar? No, and I ne- I've never had a fish called Wanda either. <laughs> So there's this fish called Escalar. Ladies and gentlemen, if you've ever had it, it's a fairly firm white fish, sort of like a halibut almost. You, like, you can grill it if you want to. It's not like, it's big flakes, right? It's not like a, a perch or a white fish, something like that. It's got little skinny flakes. Like it's a, it's a, not quite a steak fish, but it's firmer than like a flaky fish. However, Escalar is unique in as much as it has an oil in it that about 12% of the population of humans cannot break down at all. And it goes through you in a hurry. And there's no way to know until you've had it, right? So I worked at a restaurant where we had Escalar on the menu. We had to take it off because enough people, it, they weren't be, there was no foodborne illness. It was not even a reaction. It was just that the oil on that fish was like, I'm out of here. And it is 
fast and people <laughs> complained about it they complained they got foodborne illness they reported us to the health department the health department was like hey are you serving escalar and we were like yeah and they were like never mind then but it you can't sell it as a server you can't go up to the table and somebody's like can you tell me about the escalar and the server can't be like well if you're one of 12 percent of the american population it might make you shit your pants right like you can't <laughs> sell a fish that way right and so we had to stop selling it i wonder if there is some concern like that that maybe it's not the mastodon meat protein that it's something in the fat or it's some enzyme that's already included in there that'll just yeah give you tummy bubbles or something yeah, yeah you couldn't be like the escalar comes with free depends <laughs> here we'll serve it to you in the bathroom yeah right. and also i don't know if i could eat a fish that was the head of a drug cartel <laughs> pablo escalar yeah I almost convinced the chef of that restaurant to allow me to sell an escalar dish that also had escarole on it, which is a type of leafy green that's just firm enough that it's almost like a uh, like a kale or a chard where you can grill it. Yeah. And I really wanted to have escalar and escarole together. And he goes, the servers will never be able to fucking say that. And I was like, all right, that's fine. That would have been – what would you have called it? Would it just uh, es- esca – uh, I forgot. I just wanted, <laughs> I just wanted the servers to have to say grilled escalar with escarole. That's right, escalar like, and escarole. Be, like and have to say that, and then have to defend it to the table. <laughs> <laughs> I've had it. I enjoy it. I'm not part of that population that immediately poops themselves when they eat it. <laughs> Am I seeking it out? No, it's also kind of expensive. Yeah, which I, I guess should add to the uh, allure. Um, so I was like, yeah, you might poop yourself, but I mean, it's really good. It's expensive. You're, you're classy. Like maybe you yeah, walking yeah. around with poop stains when you leave a restaurant becomes like a status symbol. <laughs> oh, gross. <laughs> this, re- you know, this restaurant's classy because there's a hole in the seat. <laughs> Just in case. <laughs> well, yeah, it could be one of those danger based things. Like when people eat that, uh, really, really, uh, toxic puffer fish sushi thing right. where if yes, the yes. chef does it just wrong everybody dies yeah only this is much less the stakes are much lower if you if you do it wrong you poop your pants i mean that's much better yeah. than dying they're like below belt level yeah, yeah. much lower stakes <laughs> the restaurant's yeah. called below the belt and uh <laughs> they serve turkey testicles and uh escalar escalar yikes all right so ladies and gentlemen if you've been part of a very very Uh, sudden closing of a restaurant or possibly uh holman and finch itself please get a hold of us because we would like to know more unless it's like really bad in which case just let us keep imagining uh like worst case scenario somebody died and the owners had to rush off and take care of that and they were like fuck it shut the restaurant down i hope that was not the case absolutely right right. best way to get a hold of us is uh in the weeds wbr at gmail.com if you've got some sort of long form to say um my instagram is chef ben randall we have a Facebook page and a Facebook group, and Steve runs a website for us. In the weeds, WBR.com. And again, if you told me about the uh, article, the Atlas Obscura article regarding that Nazi pasta sauce, pasta sauce was not actually developed by a Nazi, regardless. Uh, please let me know who you were, because I forgot, and I feel bad about it. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, thank you so much for sending that along. Steve, that's all I've got today, and I'm starting to get hungry again, because my delicious breakfast was now hours ago yeah you're and I'm still on vacation at the bottom of the sea bingo yeah like <laughs> i i'm on vacation i can eat like nine meals a day it's totally <laughs> fine anything you want to cover before I'm we good. shut it down i'm good all right 
For In the Weeds with Ben Randall, I'm Ben Randall. And I'm Stephen Cadwell. Talk at you next week. Bye-bye. I feel like we started this episode talking about sudden closures and we ended talking about sudden openings of sphincters. <laughs> <Gross>. <laughs> Is that better than Nazis? I don't know. <laughs>